I'm mean, looking at a somewhat familiar passage in a familiar verse and a message entitled The Battle. You know, as we read Scripture, but especially as we live out our Christian lives, we realize our Christian lives don't always go exactly how we had planned. Hey, can we agree this morning that sometimes our lives are just difficult? The Christian life is not always easy. And sometimes what we expected to go in one direction ends up going in a completely different direction. And it's not always for the positive. It's hard and it's a, a struggle, often even a fight. In the Bible, it's referred to as a, a spiritual battle that we go through in our everyday lives. And in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is encouraging us to be strong in this Christian fight, to be prepared for the battle. So I want to jump right in and read Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10 and reading to verse 20 this morning. Follow along with me. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to. To speak. Can we take just a minute and pray before we examine this passage this morning? Father, we come before you to a familiar passage about the armor of God. And Lord, we confess to you that when we read familiar passages, we bring to it previous uh, preconceived notions. Father, we pray this morning that we would look at your word and not start to piece together what we already know, but instead teach us what your word says. Lord, there are things in here that are familiar and remind us of your faithfulness. And there are things we read this morning that we try to apply in ways that, that maybe, God, you didn't mean to apply. Father, more than anything, we pray that you would teach us something new from your word this morning. Even in a familiar passage like the armor of God, we ask this in your name. Amen. The Bible calls our Christian walk a battle. And I want to be very careful this morning not to, not to overemphasize what Scripture calls our Christian walk. I grew up in South Florida, Miami, Florida, and for a long time I followed the Miami Hurricanes football team. Growing up, I loved the Hurricanes. They were second to the Kentucky Wildcats, but 
come on, Kentucky football and Miami football, which one was going to actually win games? I watched Miami football games, especially in high school, through college, when they were good. I can remember one particular player. He was a tight end for us, really good player, ended up playing in the NFL, was a knucklehead. One of the reasons why, quite honestly, I kind of fell out of love with the Miami Hurricanes, we had a lot of knuckleheads. We had just lost a, a tough low-scoring game in which this player had thrown a good clean block, actually took out two defenders in this run formation as a tight end, was beautiful textbook block, but in doing it had injured two players. Not intentionally, it was not dirty, at least it didn't appear to be. And after the game, they asked this tight end, they said, what do you think about the fact that you injured those players? Does that bother you at all? And he went on a tirade. Of course, they had just lost, and he was an emotional player. And he says, no, I don't care that they were hurt. I'm looking out for the you, the University of Miami. All I care about is us. I don't care about them. If I didn't hurt them, they would have hurt me. And then he started on this tirade about being in war and fighting and there being blood. And, and he finished it off with, I'm a soldier, with a few extra explicitives mixed in there. I'm a soldier, and this is what I do. Rightly so, everybody who listened to his tirade went back and said, young man, you have never seen a day of war. Don't compare yourself to a bloody soldier on a football field. It was this, this moment of education for this young man and for hopefully anybody watching that the horrors of war are not to be compared to your everyday mundane life. It's not appropriate for you to go to work tomorrow morning and the copy machine to be broken and jammed again and for you to sit there and go, man, this is just like war and battle, right? I, if I could just get this unjammed, then this is a fight that I'm fighting today. It's not the same thing. So it's not right for us to take very lightly the act of war. We have several in our church and several who are present this morning who have, who have fought for our country, some in peacetime, others in active duty in war. And we should never in a million years pretend to downplay the horrors and the difficulty of a war and of a battle. So as we think about the the imagery of a war and how important it is for us to respect those who understand what war and battles are. Let's come back to Ephesians chapter 6. Let's look, let's look in verses 11 and 13 at some words that Paul uses. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Clothe yourselves in armor, verse 11. Verse 13, he says it again. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Why does Paul tell us to put on armor? Why does Paul tell us to, to get dressed in battle gear? Why has Paul described this armor as, as armor ready for a fight? I believe with all of my heart, and I don't say this lightly, it's because Paul wants us to know that it's wartime. It's time for a fight. If you think that I'm taking this out of context, let's look at how else Paul might talk about the Christian battle in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds look at the words that paul uses here we're not waging war 
I don't think Paul takes that lightly. He says we have our weapons of warfare. And then he says we are to destroy the strongholds. There's this imagery that Paul has that the Christian life is one of a constant battle, a constant war. Now, Paul didn't invent this. This actually goes all the way back to the Old Testament. And you can read several places, but I want to look at Psalm 144 for just a second. In Psalm 144, David is giving praise to God for a myriad of things. Thank you, God, for your greatness in all of these ways. One way that David is praising God. One way that he is saying, let me praise you and thank you, God, is that God prepares David for a literal war against his enemies. Psalm 144, verse 1 says, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. David understood that part of who God is is preparing us for a battle and a war. In the Exodus story, if you read the book of Exodus, Israel's slavery in Egypt is often used as an allegory for our slavery to sin. You can see glimpses of it all through the Bible. And as God rescues Israel out of Egypt, it is a picture of how Jesus Christ rescues us out of sin. And in this allegory, Pharaoh plays the part of the enemy. He's the evil one. And God rescues us from the enemy and sets us free from sin. After God rescues Israel by bringing them out through the Red Sea, Moses and the Israelites sing a song of praise to God in Exodus chapter 15. And listen to how in this joyful song they describe God. Exodus 15, 3, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. There are countless other examples all throughout the Bible showing us that God is a God who is preparing us for war and for battle. If you take notes this morning, this is important to set up the rest of Ephesians chapter 6. Christian life is war. It's wartime. Christian life is a a battle and a fight, and not in a way that we take for granted. We do not. Scripture teaches us clearly. The horrors of war that we fathom, and some of you all have experienced, are equated in Scripture to the battle we have before us in the Christian life. It's really easy to sit here this morning, especially in the United States of America, where we have not experienced the persecution and the wartime battles of Christians past and Christians around this world to think it's peacetime, to think that all is well and that all is comfortable. We understand that God is teaching us through Paul that our Christian walk, our Christian life is one of a battle and is one of war. In Ephesians chapter 6, we have a very familiar passage. It's really important as we outline who we are fighting this war against. Paul makes it abundantly clear he wants no confusion whatsoever. As a matter of fact, he outlines who it is and who it's not as clearly as he possibly can in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Look at this verse. We do not wrestle, we do not fight, we do not go to war against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
Oh, this is so key to understanding Ephesians chapter 6, is we are in the midst of a war, and our enemy is clearly identified. Here's what I want you to do. We're going to participate a little bit together this morning. I want you to read that first line out loud back to me. It's right up there on the screen, that highlighted portion. Read this with me. Ready? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We need to get this in our heads. This is important as we read Ephesians chapter 6. Say it with me again. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We read that, but what if, what if someone causes me pain? What if they're hurtful to me? Read that line again with me. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. What if I disagree with someone? What if we don't see eye to eye? What if we don't have the same vision? Read this line with me. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But what if our disagreement is over biblical doctrine? What if it's over the Bible itself? What if they're so out of line with Scripture or one of us is so out of left field according to the Bible? What if they're fighting against what we're teaching in Scripture? Read this line with me again. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. What if someone lives a lifestyle that dishonors God? What if someone is so far off a track in how they live? What if their life is reflecting everything about the world and rejecting everything about Christ? What if they deny the Jesus who died for them? Read this line again with me. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. What if, what if someone intentionally hurts you? What if you're broken and in pain over a family member, a friend, a loved one, someone who you trusted and cared about? What if they betrayed you or hurt you? What if you are, what if you are in immense pain for intentional anguish? What does this line say? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Church, as we read Ephesians 6, there is no situation ever where a person is the enemy of the Christian. There is no situation in Scripture where we see a human being created in the image of God and view them in this wartime that God gives us as the enemy. Our enemy, our adversary, the one who is against us is the cosmic power over this present darkness. Our enemy is the spiritual forces of evil. Our enemy is the devil himself and his demons. Peter tells us that he's out there prowling like a lion looking to devour everything he can. We are in a wartime, and our enemy is completely and clearly outlined. So how then is God preparing us for war against this present darkness? How is God preparing you against war, against a lion looking to devour a spiritual evil? What is he doing? Ephesians 6, 13 says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Church, we forget sometimes that we're in a battle, a spiritual fight, a war, but God has not left us empty-handed. God has given us an armor to put on and clothe ourselves with. There, there could be a lot of allegory or a lot of application when it comes to what each of these pieces represent and how we do that. Instead, I just want to read through it and maybe draw your attention to the armor in a little bit of a different way. Look at the armor that God gives us starting in verse 14. Stand firm, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth 
having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, which is a sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I think as we, we see these pieces, it's really, really easy for us to look and just applaud the greatness of Paul getting this, this picture for us of a breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation and shoes of the gospel of peace. And, and we've got a sword and a shield and we're ready to fight. And we can look back and say, Paul, he's so good with his words. All throughout his letters, Paul is so good to take pictures and put them in ways that we can understand spiritual truths. But this is actually not Paul's invention. Uh, Paul is actually drawing from an Old Testament picture that God gives us in the book of Isaiah. I, I want to maybe call your attention to the most important part of this armor. The most important part of the armor God gives us. And by doing that, let's look at Isaiah chapter 11, verses 4 and 5. See if this sounds familiar to you. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor. Paul's right there. Who is it that's going to judge the poor? Speak to me. Who is it? Who's doing the judging? It's God. Okay, this is a picture of God doing the judging. By poor, it is not poor as in he does not have any money, but poor spiritually. He is not one who is, who is ready for battle. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Look at verse 5. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The first picture we have of dressing with armor, who is the one putting on the armor? It's God. Isaiah continues this thought in verse, or chapter 59, verse 17. See if this sounds familiar. He put on righteousness as a breastplate. Who is putting this on? This is God. He put on, a righteous, on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. This is God himself dressing for battle. Why? Because God understands it's wartime. The armor, then, that Paul references is not your armor. God doesn't say, fashion for yourself a breastplate. He doesn't say, create or build a helmet. Instead, he says, you put on the armor that doesn't belong to you. Listen to this important truth as we read Ephesians 6. The armor that we're to put on is God's armor. The armor of God is God's own armor. It's not as if God says, I'll whittle you something and you can make do. God says, you put on my armor and you wear it for battle. This is, this is an amazing thought that changed the way I started to look at Ephesians chapter 6. God wants you so prepared for wartime, he gives you the best breastplate of righteousness, his own. He gives you the best helmet, his own salvation. He gives you the best belt of truth, his own belt. God does not leave you without. And the armor that we fight, the strength that we fight in is not our own strength. It's the strength that God gives. The armor of God is not just armor 
that protects us the way God wants us to protect. It is God's armor himself that we clothe ourselves in. What a picture of the gospel. What a picture of salvation. That the blood that makes us clean is not our blood. The blood that washes our sins is the blood of Jesus Christ. When we stand before the throne room of God, when we look at God and we say, Lord, I, I'm here to see if I'm worthy to enter heaven. He does not see beaded and tarnished armor that we have fashioned in some way on our own. He does not see our own blood being spilled for our own sins. He sees Jesus Christ on us. He looks down and he says, you look like a familiar soldier. You're my son. But we stop and we say, but God, I'm not. I'm just a human being. You created me and you love me. I'm thankful for that, but I'm someone else. And God goes, don't fool me. I recognize that armor that you're wearing. You're wearing my son's armor. You are my son. When we go in to fight the wartime fight against the spirituals, the spiritual beings, we are not going in our own strength with our own armor and our own might. The armor of God is God's armor. So most of this armor is defensive. Most of it is a shield or a breastplate, a helmet, even a belt to make sure, you know, our pants don't fall down when we run into fight, you know, holds everything up, truth. But we do have offensive weapons. What, what offensive weapons do we have? And if you study this before, what's the offensive weapon that we have? It's a sword, a sword which is the word of God. Right? We're often told it's our one and only offensive weapon. And I'm here to tell you, put that preconceived notion aside. We have that weapon. But it's not even the strongest weapon we have. And Paul actually tells us as much. We have a weapon and a sword to wield. But Paul breaks away from his analogy of the armor because I don't think there's a piece of armor or wartime equipment that he can equate to what our most effective weapon is. It's the weapon that, that holds everything else together. Look in verse 18. After he gives us the armor, he says, We are to be praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication or prayers for all the saints. He says you have all of this armor, but all of this armor must be worn with prayer. All of this armor must be wrapped in your prayer. We can't even use the sword of the Spirit. We can't even wield our offensive weapon if it is not rooted in prayer. You can't put on the breastplate of righteousness. You can't put on the belts of truth. Forget tying your shoes of the gospel. You can't wear the armor without communicating with the commander. Can't do it. In all things, in all pieces of the armor, we are to be praying at all times. You know what that tells me? That tells me when you're sitting around the campfire, right? You're, you're sitting there with all your comrade buddies. You've got your armor of God on, and it feels peaceful. You spend that time praying. That tells me when the, the bullets are flying, when things are blowing up and you're rushing headlong into battle and that spiritual enemy, that lion is prowling, in that moment you are to be praying. It means in every circumstance and situation, at all times we are to pray. That's why I think the greatest weapon we have is prayer. The greatest weapon we have is prayer. 
Too often we take our greatest weapon and we leave it sheathed. We don't pull it out because it's not as cool sounding as a sword. Give me the sword of the Word of God. Oh, it's a powerful weapon. And in another sermon, in another application, we can unpack how important that weapon is. But we use that powerful weapon of prayer and we set it over to the side. I don't know what the statistics are. I can just go by talking to people and, and listening. I believe Christians talk about praying a lot more than they actually pray. I, I'm, I'm positive of that. I've got no research, but I'm so sure of that. We talk about how we're praying for people and for things without actually getting on our knees and praying. And the greatest weapon we have in this battle and in this war stays tucked away. You know, John Piper, in an old sermon from the 80s, asked a a question, why don't Christians, faithful Christians, pray more? Why don't they pray as much as they talk about praying or they should pray? The the truth is, in prayer, we, we intend to pray. We have good intentions. That's why we tell people, we'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. We'd love to be praying for you. How can I be praying for you? We have every intention to pray. We know that prayer works. We've seen it before in in glimpses, right? We prayed for healing, and there was healing. We prayed for salvation, and there was salvation. We prayed for a request, and it was granted. We know that prayer works. And we really genuinely want to pray. We have a desire to pray more. I think any Christian that you talk to would tell you, I wish I prayed more. We want and desire to pray So John Piper asks, why don't we do it then? And his answer, I think, is is spot on. John Piper says, Christians don't pray because we forget that it's wartime. We forget that the battle surrounds us. We get to Ephesians chapter 6 and we read about the fight. We read about the armor. We read about the need to go and stand firm. But we forget in our own comfort that the war is going on all around us. He likens prayer then to a walkie-talkie with the commander at any time and at any place. You can talk to the commander at any time and any place. And he describes what we've done with it. We've taken that walkie-talkie to the commander and we've, we've put it on our speedboat and we go out for leisure. We put it on our second and third car and we, we use it for convenience. We go in our lap of luxury or or whatever comfort we have and we think that we can use that walkie-talkie as a way to summon a request. When prayer is not meant to be us summoning God, but us talking and listening to the commander for actions in war. How can we know what God wants us to do in the fight if we're not talking to him? Brothers and sisters in Christ, I beg you to remember we're in the middle of a fight and a war. Not against flesh and blood, not against people created in the image of God. There are spiritual powers that surround the the culture of our society, the people in our society, and even our churches. There are spiritual forces that want nothing more than for us to fail. And God says, put on your armor and get ready. And for goodness sakes, get on your knees and pray. So what are we praying for? When we pray, what are God's battle commands? When the commander speaks to us, what is he telling us to do? 
how are we supposed to fix the broken culture and the broken world? How are we supposed to fix all the, the wounds from this war and this battle? In Ephesians six nineteen, Paul tells us, Pray also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Prayer, armor, battle gives us the power to have the words to boldly proclaim the gospel. What is our mission in this war? Our mission is that gospel. It's all that matters. That's the singular focus. Do people know Christ? And how do we share that with them? Every time we suit up in God's army, every battle we fight, the summation of the whole war, the summary of all that we're called to do is the gospel. Who do we fight for? We fight for those in need of the gospel. Why do we fight for the sake of people knowing the gospel? When do we fight? Always ready to give the gospel. When we get on our knees and pray, we're reminded that we're in a battle. And this is not a battle where people lose limbs or arms or even physical lives. This is a battle where there are people who lose their eternal souls. As we fight this battle, we're reminded who we're fighting against and who we're fighting for. The truth is, church, we need to remind ourselves that it's wartime. It's time to fight. Time to put on the armor that God has provided for us, his own armor. It's time to grab our sword of the word of God and stand with the belt of truth. It's time to be faithful in all things. And it's time to hit our knees, fully dressed in armor, and be praying. God, give me the words to share the gospel. Show me how to serve so that people will know the gospel. Show me how to grow in my faith so that the gospel can be proclaimed. This morning, you may be the very person that the battle is for. Sitting right here in the sanctuary, watching on your screen online, you may be the one who God has given armor to other Christians for. God may be looking at you saying, you're the mission. You're the one I love and I want to save. I want to call you to myself. I want to wipe your sins away. I, I, I want you to follow me and I want to give you armor to fight alongside. Maybe this morning, you're the purpose and you're the mission. God may be speaking to your heart and saying, you're the reason why we fight the war. Would you respond to him this, this morning? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we're reminded that you don't mince words when it comes to our Christian life. It is a hard-fought battle. Lord, there are times that we fall on our knees in exhaustion. And when we do, remind us that that's where we should stay, praying to the commander. Father, forgive us for forgetting that we're in the midst of a war and a battle and getting ourselves so sidetracked with luxury or opinions or Lord, often we make the enemy things that the enemy is not. Help us to be focused, in tune with the commander. Let us be reminded of the mission of the gospel that we have. Father, we pray for the person listening to these words and, and hearing this message. They're, they're reminded that you love them so much, you would fight and wage a war for their soul. Father, let them throw themselves to you and plead 
forgiveness for their failings. Let them see that you have a life so much better than the one that they're living. Lord, let them faithfully serve you, turn to you, and Lord, suit them up for battle. Father, we thank you for the armor you give us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.